We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking. Our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, you as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to the Artian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. podcast listeners and thank you for joining us today at the Artian podcast where we explore the relationships between art artists and the world of business technology and entrepreneurship and today we're saying hello from Madrid to Boston to Matthew Schifrin welcome Matthew it's a pleasure to be here Matthew can you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners sure so my name is Matthew Schifrin and I study singing and accordion at the New England Conservatory in Boston And I sing and write music and rock climb. Great. And Matthew, you and me uh, actually got to know each other through Sam McGee, who was the manager of a student program for the arts at MIT, where today I'm also a uh, mentoring. So first of all, Sam, if you're hearing us today, thank you for doing this introduction because of you that we are here. And before I kind of will ask you, Matthew, what you did at MIT and how you ended up uh, being there, Uh, participating in this program, I think it's worth mentioning a bit about the, this office, the arts at uh, MIT, which is an office that oversee, coordinates, support, and facilitates art activities inside the MIT, which I find it fascinating, bringing how to bring art into the world of technology engineering in a school like MIT. And one of the initiatives that MIT runs is actually the MIT Creative Arts Competition which is an annual contest designed to encourage art-focused startup at the Institute, which you won with your project Daredevil. Oh, and that was really an incredible experience, that creative arts competition. It happened accidentally in the sense that I was at New England Conservatory and some people there said, hey, you know, MIT have a creative arts competition and you should join it and kind of see what happens. And I was... skeptical because I mean MIT is known for their sciences and, uh, and then I thought you know it's it's worth joining and it was really that whole experience was a really pivotal experience for me because at first we had all of these workshops that introduced artists to entrepreneurship and it really trained artists in the ins and outs of starting a startup and acquiring customers and keeping them engaged and And all of these very entrepreneurial things. But what was wonderful was that it was still grounded in art. And then when the competition came, uh, it was a very nerve-wracking experience because uh, Dan Levine, my co-founder, and I, we basically, to backtrack, what Project Daredevil does is we are a startup creating virtual reality experiences for blind people using... A 3D sound radio drama where sound is all around your head, behind you, above you, below you, and we are building a motion simulating helmet. And this helmet uses gyroscopes to affect the vestibular system to make you feel different motions, like falling, flying. And we initially started this project so that blind people could access mediums that were inaccessible to them, like video games or movies or comic books, so that they could really feel like they were a part of this experience. 
So, I mean, you started to speak and gave so much information, and I think we are missing kind of two important parts. Why you started Daredevil? I think listeners are not familiar with your background in that context. I started Project Daredevil because I am blind myself. And I've been reading comic books since I was a child. And my dad used to read me comic books about Daredevil, the blind superhero. And I was really fascinated by them because they were so visually rich. They had so much details in them from a visual standpoint to tell a story. And as I grew older, I wondered how blind people could read comic books on their own. And I realized that they really couldn't because the audiobook versions of comic books that exist are intended for sighted people and that they lack a lot of the details needed to keep blind people engaged. Matthew, I'm disturbing all the time. I'm sorry, because, you know, those conversations get me excited and, you know, I have to ask a lot of questions. And I remember in our first conversation when you described how your father read to you these comics, I felt inspired is because, you know, you just spoke about how those comics books are rich with details and visuals, but you are blind and you, you needed someone to transmit this experience to you. That's what motivated you, correct? These comic books are intended for sighted people. So the pictures, there's so much detail. A picture is the size of a matchbox, each panel where things happen. And there's so much detail and so much action, and so much story happening in each of these panels. But to a blind person, it's just a book. You can't read it. It's in print. Blind people can't read print. And so my dad would sit next to me and this would be kind of our bedtime story. Instead of telling me a bedtime story, he would sit and he would read me this comic book about Daredevil and describe the different pictures. And it was a really immersive experience because there was a lot of action happening. And Daredevil was like climbing down buildings and getting thrown out of windows and all of this very Hollywood action movie stuff. And this was really the first moment when my dad was describing these images to me that I was really able to engage with this medium that previously I had never known existed. I knew comic books existed, but I never, before dad read me that Daredevil comic, I never really thought that that would be a medium that could be accessible to blind people at all. And that's what you try to do with Daredevil, which, by the way, why Daredevil? I don't think anyone, and not everyone, probably familiar with Daredevil. I think I didn't read the, the whole comics books, but the Netflix show is excellent. So why did you choose, Agreed. first of all, Daredevil? Agreed. I chose Daredevil because Daredevil is the only blind superhero. And I found it very, very ironic that all of the media about Daredevil, the comic books about Daredevil that have been running since the 60s, are completely inaccessible to blind people. Blind people cannot read them at all. And I found it very ironic that this character, who one of his defining traits is the fact that he's blind, and we see him navigating the world using a cane, and we see him using all of his senses to their utmost capacity, that he is presented in a medium that is completely inaccessible to blind people. I, I found this kind of humorous and ironic. And so... I started Project Daredevil to really figure out how to make the comic book an immersive experience for the blind. That was my goal. And generally, when we talk about visual media, video games are inaccessible to blind people in the sense that a blind person can play a video game if they learn what buttons to press, but the cinematic nature of contemporary media, video games, movies, comic books, whatever, is lost on blind people because the access that they have to this media is very limited. 
they don't understand the full scope and cannot appreciate the full scope of the media that they are presented with. Even with, for example, there is something called audio description, which is when a narrator will describe what is happening while you are watching a movie or a film. And this is a feature for blind people. Audio description is wonderful. It allows blind people to engage somewhat in the mediums, in film or in television, but it does not engage blind people enough because the describers do not have a chance to tell you about everything. They only have five seconds to tell you that the monkey hit the person. It doesn't matter that the person flew backwards into the window and broke it. The monkey hit the person is the only thing they have time to say because they only have a very short amount of time to tell you things. Can you describe us, I mean, the helmet? I mean, obviously Very later much. on, what we'll do is that we put some of the pictures in, on our webpage of, of this uh, show so the audience can see, the listeners can see as well how it looks. But can you describe how this helmet maybe works or what it activates so, and how you create experiences? So the vestibular system is, uh, there are two small kind of balls, if you think of it, in our inner ear. And these are, they're in liquid and they control our balance. And if the vestibular system can be manipulated and effective, then our balance can be tricked. So our helmet tricks the vestibular system using spinning gyroscopes. Depending on how quickly these gyroscopes spin, that is able to send different signals to the vestibular system and to trick it. So let's say you're sitting down and you put on this helmet and the wheels spin in a certain way then you will feel like you are floating in the air, like you are just suspended there. Or if the wheels spin in a different way, then you could feel like you're flying, like there's very fast motion up and down, for example. Or some more complex motions like a flip can also be demonstrated using these gyroscopes. A certain way they spin and they stop spinning, then you will feel like you have left the ground done a flip in the air, made a very fast motion where the entire body has gone upside down and then right side up. I think it's incredible. I mean, thinking about experiences and taking it one step further than just, you know, if it's for sighted people, just visual, and then just to adding audio, you actually activated the way we feel around flying and maybe sitting and everything that come from your experience with comics book. And your example is kind of, I think it's a wake-up call to every business professional that normally stays away from creative endeavors. Um, you know, what's funny is that businesses always think that unicorns can be found at the tech realms only, but there is so much innovation in artistic spaces from people like you or in the mix between the tech and art. And, and I'm wondering from your experiences, being at the arts at MIT, the creative arts competition, getting to know other um, other entre creative entrepreneurs, why you will recommend business professionals to actually get exposed to those artists just like yourself doing, in my opinion, amazing stuff? Engaging with the artists for business professionals is key because the artists have a very different perspective on life than the business professionals. The artists are trained from day one to think outside the box, to come up with solutions that people never thought of because that is the job of the artist. The job of the artist is to engage their audience in a way that the audience does not expect, to surprise the audience, to wow the audience, to really make whoever you're engaging with think, wow, I'd never thought of that before. That is the goal of the artist in no matter in which medium they are. 
They could be in ceramics. They could be in painting. They could be in video. Doesn't matter. The job of the artist is always to make the audience leave an experience with a new emotion, to make, to provoke the audience to think in a different way and to look at their experiences and their life in a different way once they've left the gallery or performance space or wherever it is that these artists have been exhibiting their work. I couldn't agree more. I always say, you know, everyone talk about the experience economy and what people I think missing in the business, the world of business is that artists are experience driven, not product driven. And that's why they can take any product and make it a much better experience. You know, one of the things I think you, we started with your intro, but uh, you are a very humble uh, person um, from what I perceive till now. And you are a creator. You didn't stop with Daredevil. And one of your projects that at least inspire me and touch me in is actually Lego for the Blind. And in a way, you set yourself a mission to make Lego play accessible to vision impaired children around the globe. What is it, Lego for the Blind? Lego for the Blind is a project that I started with a friend of mine many years ago. And my friend Nina Finkel started this project because she... It was my 13th birthday, and she came over, and she brought me this big cardboard box and this big fat binder. And this binder is thick, like phone book thick. And so uh, I open up this box, and in this box is a Middle Eastern Lego palace, 830 pieces. And in the binder were instructions that Nina had brailled by hand on a braille typewriter. And these instructions let me know about the different pieces that I need, and where to place them, and how to orient them. And she gave me all these directions over and over until the set was finished. And when I built that first set, it was really a pivotal moment for me because I knew before this point, before my 13th birthday, I knew for a fact that Lego was something that sighted children played with because they could see the instructions and they could build what was on the box. And as a blind child, I knew that I would never be able to build what was on the box because I wouldn't be able to see. And my parents built with me, and that was fine, but parents are busy. They didn't have time to build everything with me. So a lot of the sets that they would purchase for us to build together ended up in shambles, just in a box somewhere. And when Lila brought me that first set, that really was an eye-opening moment for me because I understood that the impossible was now possible. How does it feel? I, I have to take you to this sentence because I listened to you in a few different podcasts and a few different videos. How does it feel to understand that what you thought is impossible now is actually possible? The whole world opens up and it's just this surge of energy and joy and power. And you feel so you feel so energized and you feel so inspired and engaged with the world around you in a way that you had not felt before. And as soon as I felt this engagement, I knew that I had to give this experience to other blind children. Other blind children don't have Lila Finkels in their lives to make these instructions for them. And so when we, after that first set, we started a website called legoforTheBlind.com. Is it still and available, he, Lego for the oh, Blind? Oh, very much. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah. I encourage our listeners, go check at legoforTheBlind.com. I'm hoping to update it soon with more sets that we've made accessible. So stay and tuned. Please do. And that website really was a 
fascinating experience because we started it and we put instructions for every single Lego set that we could get our hands on. We would buy a set. She would write out the instructions and sort the pieces into little bags so that I wouldn't mix the pieces up. And then I would build the set and check her instructions for errors. And then we would post that to the website. Day in, day out, website, experimenting. Day in, day out, very much. And it was something we did in our free time. She was working. I was in school. But we'd meet up in the evenings and on weekends and whenever we had time. That would be our time to build and engage with Lego and make instructions. And when our website launched, we got hundreds of emails from parents of blind children and blind children themselves saying, hey, this is great. And I have this set. Can you make it accessible? And I have this train that I got. Can you make that accessible? And this airplane and this bus and all these different things. And the trouble was we had to turn these people away. We had to turn them down and say, we're sorry, we can't do this. Because we were just two people in a living room doing this in our spare time. And at that point, when those parents and those children came calling, that was really a wonderful moment, a moment of joy and a moment of understanding and engagement for me. Because I was, my theory was correct. These blind children had never had access to Lego. as I built it, with these instructions, and they but, want... Matthew, but it's not only for Lego. One of the things that you mentioned is that you cannot climb the Eiffel Tower or the Statue of Liberty, and you cannot understand how they feel, but the moment you built it with Lego, you already understood what does it mean. Can oh, you elaborate on that? I mean, because the much, fact... Very much, very much. is incredibly valuable as a teaching tool for blind children. Because touch is sequential, You can't touch an entire building. Um, you are not able to really understand the world as it goes by. And these landmarks, you know they exist. You know the Empire State Building is in New York. You know it is big. You know King Kong sat on it. But besides that, you don't really know that much. You know it's a big, expensive skyscraper. That's it. But when you're able to build that same building out of Lego, then you are able to become intimately familiar with how it feels. And then you are able to understand the parts of the world that are untouchable to you as a blind person. The same goes for movies, for example. Let's say we're watching Star Wars and there's a, they're trying to blow up the Death Star, for example. I know that the Death Star is a giant planet-sized ball thing with a laser on it. But that's all I know because the describers in the movie only had time to tell me that. But if I build the Death Star out of Lego, then I'm able to really understand the points of the movie that took place. In there. a different dimension. Oh, very much. Oh, this is the monster that tried to eat Luke and Leia. Oh, this is, this is the laser that destroyed a planet. Oh, this is the, the trench that they flew through to try and blow it up, for example. And that different dimension really helps blind people and blind children engage with the world in a way that otherwise would be impossible for them. Because These things don't exist in real life. You can't drive the Batmobile. It does not exist. But yeah. being able to build these things out of Lego really helps blind children engage with it in a way that is new and energizing to them. So there is a, an element of joy, of happiness. There is an element of uh, teaching, element of open possibilities for the blind people. So you decide, I cannot leave it for myself. I opened this website, but you didn't stop on, in this website. You took it one step further. I knew that the website, the website was good, but the website was not enough. 
And I thought to myself, you know, I have to take it to the big guys. I have to take it to Lego and I have to convince them to make this a part of their process. I need to convince them to make this a part of the way they create toys, to incorporate these instructions into their building sets so that a blind child could go to a store, buy a set, download the instructions, and be able to build it on their own, just like sighted kids. So wait, now that you decide to go to the big guys, how old were you? I tried to go to the big guys multiple times. When our project started, I was 13 or 14. And the trouble was when you try to go to big guys in general, you need to know someone with clout in the big guys. Otherwise, you're not going to go anywhere. So I sent them emails and customer service said, oh, you know, that's great. <laughs> we can't really help you. We're just customer service. So that was that's at the not- age of 13, 14. Yeah, 13, 14. But then at, when Lego for the Blind launched, I was at MIT. And in the media lab, in the lifelong kindergarten group, there was an acquaintance of mine who I told him, you know, I, I'm doing this project, Lego for the Blind. Do you know anyone who works for Lego? Because people in the lifelong kindergarten group have a very strong connection to the Lego group. And he said, oh, yeah, I have a friend who moved to Denmark two weeks ago. I'll put you in touch. And I said, this is the way to do it. This is my golden <laughs> ticket. And so this guy from Denmark emails me and he says, yeah, I will put you in touch with the head of the Creative Play Lab at Lego. And the Creative Play Lab was a group which was working on very experimental new projects for me. And you, and you were how old? I'm going 16, back 16. And you know, I'm wondering how a kid at the age of 16 find the courage to go to the big guys. Because not only that you went there, it actually became a reality. Tell us. I think the courage came from the fact that Lila, my friend with whom I was working on this project, she was very sick and she was dying. And then in 2017, she died. And I knew that this project had to continue. I knew that I had to keep going and I had to get this project to Lego because we had dreamed, both of us, we had hoped that one day we could get it there. But in her lifetime, it didn't happen. And then she died and I thought, okay, now is your shot. Now you have the experience, you have the website, you have the memory of the person who made this happen for you. Now go to Lego and now convince them. Go, go, go. And you went. And And you convinced them. And it worked. That was the miraculous thing. Keep in mind, these big guys at Lego owe me nothing. I am a blind kid with instructions and an idea. But the energy and with which Lego took up this project is incredible. Mind you, these are total strangers. These are not my friends. These are not my relatives. These people do not know me. But they took this project up with such gusto and zeal and commitment. And they loved it because, in a sense, this project connected them back with their childhood and with why they were working with Lego in the first place. Olaf Gerlofsson, the guy who got this whole project started at Lego, he told me, you know, I've been working at Lego for 40 years, he said. And I had never thought about how blind people build with Lego and whether they can actually build their sets. And you, he said, you made me think about this. You made me engage with this idea and really expand upon it in a way that I had never thought about. So at the age of 20, you started to work with Lego, helping them making Lego for the blind on a global scale. 
And that's really been such a thrilling experience because Lego have been writing their own text-based instructions for their sets. And I basically provide feedback, quality assurance, if you will. And I build their sets and I give them feedback. And the wonderful thing is to see this feedback incorporate. This is not feedback that they say, oh, yeah, this is good. And then they put it away, never to be heard of again. These instructions that they make are edited and revised and improved according to my feedback. And what's wonderful is the level of detail that the instruction writers use. So when Lilia and I made our own instructions, we wanted blind children to have the complete play experience. So we described the pictures on the box. We described the advertisements in the back of the manuals, what each little Lego person looked like. We described all of that because we wanted blind children to be able to have a full experience. And what's wonderful is that Lego has taken on that same minute level of detail. They have descriptions for everything. The box, the instructions, the little people, the stickers. And mind you, a sighted person may say, oh, stickers, that doesn't really matter. But the goal is to give a full and engaging play experience to blind children and adults. And Lego are doing that. And it is so, it is such an honor to work with them because they are approaching it with the same energy that Lida and I used. I didn't think that strangers, people who I don't know, people could approach it with the same level of energy, but it is so energizing and rejuvenating and thrilling to see that these Matthew, people... Matthew, I'll tell you something. I know, I know how they continue. Listening to you, I'm positive that all the listeners will get your enthusiasm and your passion and your inspiration and take part in, in something like that. So I think it's you over here that uh, push us all to think different on the world around us. And for that, out of the context, I just want to say thank you for giving us a, a different perspective. And those uh, sets will be available starting from April 2020, this spring, sorry, of 2020 uh, in stores. Mm -hmm. Instructions for four of these sets are available on legoaudioinstructions.com. And the sets themselves are already available. So you can, four of these sets you can buy and you can build using the instructions on their website. We're going to add about 25 to 30 new instructions, maybe more, maybe 50, I don't know, whatever Lego says, um, in the spring. Amazing. So uh, based on your story, like at the age of 16, 17, you going to the big guys, you convince them to fulfill a dream of you as a kid and actually take your idea to the global arena. And based on this experience, what are the, your tips and recommendations for entrepreneurs that listening to us or are listening to us now and are struggling to uh, pursue their own dreams? What are the tips that you will give them? Two or three tips. It's always important to think about where your motivation comes from. And whenever you are trying to achieve your entrepreneurial goals, just write out an outline for yourself. I am doing this because of X, Y, and Z. Then use that to craft a story that will engage whoever you're trying to connect with. So once you make an outline and craft your story, make sure that that story is as human as possible. I don't care if it's, if it's a hat for a dog or Whatever, whatever product it is, whatever venture, whatever endeavor, I think a key thing to any entrepreneurial experience is story. Because without a story, it's just a thing. People will have no idea why they should care about the thing 
that you're trying to market or engage them. And so when it comes to pursuing your dreams, first of all, think about story. Second of all, think about specific impact. In my case, it was fairly easy because I knew blind children. It, one of the wonderful things about Lego for the Blind was being able to go and build these sets with blind children. And a thrill was seeing the joy on their faces. And they were telling me, you know, I, now I can build with Lego. They said, I never thought I could do this before. And now I can. And I thought to myself, yes, blind children care about this. I'm glad. But no matter what your venture is, Think about specific customers. Think about specific people and how they'd benefit. And the, the thirdly, always, always engage with as many different people in as many different disciplines and arenas as possible. Because this guy at MIT, I met him because he had built a musical instrument called the Makey Makey. And it's this device that you clip to a computer and it allows you to control your computer in different ways using household objects. And I just wrote this guy an email and I said, hey, you know, I, could we meet and talk? And I love your device and I have an idea about how to make it accessible for blind people. And then the Lego thing kind of came out of my interest in this person and their technology. So never always engage with every single random person you meet because you never know how you can help them or how they can help you. So if I summarize it, craft a story, make it impactful, engage with different people, which I always say it's the intersection between disciplines that will drive innovation forward. Matthew, what I like about you is your background, because you are an artist. You sing, you compose, you write musicals and play the accordion. You are successful in what you are doing and you, in what you are doing as an artist and as a young student, you already won the Boston and New England competition of the National Association of Teachers Singing and you were a national semi-finalist competing at the uh, national level in the US. I probably missed a few more uh, titles that you got and all of this and you are still in junior years and you are still student. And you are studying actually at the NEC, a New England Conservatory of Music. And what's beautiful is that one of the questions that I'm interested in, what brings an artist into an entrepreneurial ventures? Till now, we only discussed your entrepreneurial ventures and creations. And I'm interested, what brings you into this world of entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship is an extension of artistry. Artists have to be entrepreneurs whether they like it or not. Let's say I'm planning a concert. My goal, and I need someone to play with me on this concert, my entrepreneurial goal will be to engage my friends and make sure that some of them come to the concert and that some of them play in the concert. And so from an artistic standpoint, I think that as a singer, um, you always craft stories. When you sing songs, each song is a story about something. And I went into entrepreneurship as an artist because a large portion of entrepreneurship is crafting stories and telling stories in such a way that they engage people. And I thought it would be uh, a very interesting intersection of disciplines to go from singing to kind of from the arts to entrepreneurship. A really pivotal moment was when, uh, when we won the 15K Creative Arts Competition at MIT because Dan and I, we were pitching. And we were pitching against very serious people. These people were people with MBAs at the Sloan School of Management. They were very intense. They were very well-trained. They were 
They knew all the stuff that we didn't. And the thrill of winning that competition, I think the reason that we won was because of the story that we were able to tell and the impact that we were able to, uh, to, for, to foretell. And as an artist, the story happens to you no matter what. And I thought that entrepreneurship would be a way not only to create different stories, but create different reasons for being artistic. It's kind of, you know, you are touching things that for me, and I'll be happy to get uh, your input here, it relates to the way artists are being trained. And you started to speak about it in the beginning, and often um, they are kind of prepared to challenge the status quo and go beyond the familiar boundaries. And as a preparation for uh, our podcast, I went to New England Conservatory of Music website to read what is their mission, and I quote, Net Contemporary Improvisations a program addresses the needs of musicians seeks to move beyond traditional boundaries. NEC brings together a diverse group of worlds of finest young artists in a setting where they can grow as a community with an emphasis on ear training technique, conceptual ideas, interdisciplinary collaboration, and a whole way, a wide range of improvisational traditions. The CI program is uniquely positioned to produce the complete 21st century music. And so many things that they wrote in their mission, you already talked and you proved through your experiences. And this is one of the things I want to hear from you. How this artistic training prepare you for entrepreneurial ventures? As an improviser, this contemporary improvisation program, basically what it does is we study music from all over the world. We study klezmer, we study Persian music, we study Armenian music, we study any and every kind of music that you can think of, we study. It is a class that we take. And as an improviser, you need to think of things very quickly. And so when I sit down to write a song, first I write out text, but sometimes I will just sit at the piano and just kind of say what comes into my head, and the song will be crafted from that improvisation. As an entrepreneur, improvisation and the ability to quickly change what you're thinking about is key. And by quickly change, I mean, let's say something, something doesn't work out. You lose a team member, for example. Your goal is not to go, oh, no, I lost a team member. What do I do? You need to make a 180-degree turn and think about, okay, I lost a team member. They can't work on this project. Now, how am I going to fix this? You need to improvise as an entrepreneur and as a musician equally. The only difference is that one is musical and the other one, the entrepreneurial one, is life-based and social and human-based. And art in that context, I would say that uh, music and art is also a social-based. It's also human-based. Maybe the value proposition or the benefits are different. Yes, the benefits are different. And the humans, I think, who are impacted by the art are impacted in a different way. Because in entrepreneurship, your relationship with humans is very personal. As opposed to an artist, let's say you're performing a piece in a recital. You're on stage, you're singing, and then you leave. The audience claps. That is the only interaction you're going to have with those people. But as an entrepreneur, when you're pitching something or talking to team members, your goal is to make sure that all of these people who you're talking to are engaged and energized and want to collaborate on this with you. It's like when you're an artist performing in a recital, then it's a very static way of interacting with humans. 
But if you're an artist who's in a band with other members, that is like being an entrepreneur. Because when you're in a band, you need to make sure that everyone is on board, everyone is happy, everyone is engaged, everyone is interested. Same thing with a team for a startup as an entrepreneur. Yeah, team building, team spirit, team engagement, team alignment. Yeah, so many things to learn from uh, just playing music with other people. Another thing that uh, you are working on is a musical. Not only that you have your entrepreneurial technology-oriented uh, startups, and not only that you're working with uh, Lego, you are also working on musical. I'm a big fan of musical theater, and I, I wrote a short musical at 16 or 17, and I thought, you know, now is the time. I'm a junior, and it's time to write something more substantial. What is the topic of it? I think it's crucial to our conversation. I think the topic is how people change when dealing with grief and how they energize themselves to move forward as people after traumatic situations and how their outlook and their perspective changes and how they're able to energize themselves after, after traumatic events. And now that you are working on it, I mean, when are you planning? When are you planning to launch it or to produce it? Or hopefully in the fall would be when it would be produced. I'm still writing it now, and um, in the fall or next spring at the latest. And one of the things that you mentioned, I cannot recall if it was in the context of that musical or another musical you are working on, was the story I think of a student that actually in school kind of bringing back or after school bringing back the uh, hair or his creativity and kind of tapping back into this creative uh, spirit that they had as a kid. And that is essential for this student because in this musical, the student realizes that their creativity is not where it was as a kid. And they've lost it because they've been bombarded with assignments in school. School's goal, even at conservatory sometimes, the goal is not necessarily creativity. And so the student goes on this quest to understand themselves and to engage with their creativity and really get it back from where it was to where it was when they were a kid. Why do you find it essential to remind people how important creativity is for us? Creativity has helped me so much throughout my life. And without creativity, there would be no Lego for the Blind. There would be no Blind Guide Travels. None of these Uh, there would be no motion simulating helmet in Project Daredevil. And I just think creativity is so important because it is what drives fascinating ideas. And the more we are able to use it, and the more we are able to engage with it, and not just say, oh, I'm going to be creative. The more we are able to flex those muscles and use it, the better and more interesting things we will produce as artists and as entrepreneurs. So I have another request for you, uh, please, Matthew. What is the one or two tips that you will give our listeners to maintain maybe or nourish or kind of develop and not to lose their creative spirit? What do you do or maybe what you can suggest them to do? When you're focusing on an entrepreneurial venture, it's important to always take breaks. And in those breaks, do something creative. Draw a picture, write a poem, write a song. It doesn't matter what, but something to flex the other part of the brain, the part of the brain that is not thinking about slide decks and emails and team building, the part of the brain that is focused on funny rhymes and interesting melodies and interesting mixes of color and shape and texture. 
And I think these creative breaks are really important because they can lead to ideas that you wouldn't have had otherwise because your entrepreneurial part of the brain was working too hard. When you take a creative break, then your creative part starts working and it has a better chance of connecting and linking with the entrepreneurial part to produce more intriguing and interesting results. And you have other, uh, other thoughts, other things people can do if they want to kind of maintain this creative beside taking a break and trying something creative maybe that they normally don't do? I think it's sometimes important to do, if you're trying to think of something and be creative and it's not working, a uh, physical break is really valuable. So I don't know, do some push-ups, run around your house, jump up and down, something for a couple of minutes, and that really gets the creative juices flowing. And that really engages your creativity in a way because the brain is getting energized through the physical activity. And yeah. when you have time as an entrepreneur, focus on not only things you wouldn't normally do, but read some articles about music you wouldn't normally listen to. Listen to things that you usually don't listen to. Or read some weird poems that you usually wouldn't read. Because the more, the more foreign disciplines you engage with, the more ideas you will get from whatever discipline you're taking a break with. Yeah, not again, only is it important, intersections of disciplines. Not only is it important to be creative and write and create that content, but it's also important to engage with other disciplines as an entrepreneur. Matthew, I'm impressed by all the things that uh, you are doing. And you are how old? 22. At 22. At 22, you already started a few projects. You run a podcast. You have worked with Lego. You spoke at TEDx conferences. You have been interviewed by major media such as Forbes, Reuters, NBC, Washington Post, CBC, NPR, and this is just to name a few. Um, as you know, at the RTN, we advocate for the role of art and artists in innovation and entrepreneurship. You are an excellent example of that. And I'm interested to hear from you what music taught you that you find relevant to your different ventures. Beside the creativity that we mentioned, beside the fact that you already know how to tell a story, are there uh, angles that you think of? Music taught me to always think about things from a different perspective. I always, when I write this musical, my goal is always to write funny things and rhyme, rhyme things in a way that people wouldn't expect. One of my favorite composers is Stephen Sondheim. And his musicals are famous for the way that they use text in creative ways, the way they rhyme things that you wouldn't expect, the way that they use words in a way that makes you go, huh, I never thought of that. And I think as a musician, always trying to be humorous, always trying to be energetic in the pieces that I write, and always trying to make things, some pieces are fun, some pieces are sad, whatever that might be, but always trying to make sure that the audience is with me, that the audience is engaged, that the audience is feeling what I want them to feel, is valuable in any field. Always remembering and considering your audience, no matter what presentation you're doing, is really valuable. Because the more you consider your audience, the more, whatever it be music or entrepreneurship, the more your entrepreneurship will grow and blend with what the audience seeks, and the easier it will be for you to market whatever product or service, because you know your audience, you have engaged with them. And that's one of the most valuable things you can do, doesn't matter if you're a musician, 
and have fun with it. That's also very important. As entrepreneurs, we get so caught up in the, the daily stuff, in the rigmarole of it, and we forget the joys of it. And if I'll go back to your first part of the answer, I mean, I would summarize it in two words, customer-centric. You always think about your audience, and most of the time, entrepreneurs are required to be customer-centric. For you, it's come natural because of what you do in your world of art. Which leads me to a question that, you know, kind of makes me all the time wonder when I'm interviewing artists. Do you think that art, and specifically in your case, music, make you a better entrepreneur? I think that music has taught me to craft my work in a way that has made me a better entrepreneur because music requires you to be a craftsman and requires you to be a storyteller. And the way that I've engaged with music has really helped me understand my audience as an entrepreneur, but also really engage with them from a storytelling standpoint, from a creativity standpoint, from an artistry standpoint to treat them not just as people who will be buying a thing that I will be trying to sell them, but as people to whom I can tell a story and who I can engage in my story and my experience and thus get them interested in what I create. So I'm wondering as well, you know, we kind of, obviously uh, we get each other in how, how art is important in entrepreneurship, but you know, unfortunately in society, not everyone understands um, what are the misconceptions that society have around artists or creatives, ent- creative entrepreneurs, in your opinion, or things that you probably uh, encountered in your different ventures? I think it's sometimes really important. I find this with some musicians, that musicians who are trying to go into entrepreneurship, they think only about musicians. So they try to make products for musicians and services mm. for musicians, and everything for musicians. And they're not thinking about the wider audience. And they're not thinking about their talents and skills as a musician that could be applied to other fields. Mm. And I think it's really important for um, creatives when going into entrepreneurship to cast their net as wide as possible, to write out a list of all their skills and all their abilities and think and make a list of all the different fields that these abilities can be applied to. Are you kind of encountering, like, I would say... Yeah, misconceptions or pre- maybe prejudice around art. Why artists are irrelevant for business? People say that, oh, those artists, they don't understand business. How can they help me? People think that because they haven't seen artists doing business. <laughs> because artists are busy doing art. So people assume that artists can't do business, which is unfortunate because when artists make art, they do it for a business. They do it to survive. Yeah. It's kind of funny, but... If, if people were to give artists a chance, they would see that when artists approach things from an entrepreneurial standpoint, they approach it from a much more creative and brainstormy standpoint. What I mean by that is when an artist tries to solve a problem, they think about the most outlandish and wildest ways to solve it. And most of the time, those wildest ways are the most effective. Entrepreneurs don't think about that because entrepreneurs are focused on the most effective way, the most cost-effective way, the most customer-satisfactory way, while the artist wants to get it done as quickly and energetically as possible. You know, you mentioned these wild ideas, and, you know, I saw um, Kanye West in the David Letterman shows, and, you know, he said, he openly spoke about um, 
his disease and he says, you know, society wants crazy ideas. And if society wants crazy ideas, most likely they will come from crazy people. Even though I don't, I don't want to kind of put a stereotype on artists as a crazy people. I just think that what artists bring us is many, many things. But one of the things is actually to think about those wild ideas. Matthew, I think it was wonderful conversation and I know we need to finish uh, soon. And before we finish, I want to give you the, the opportunity to share with us your last thoughts, give one tip or say one comment to our listeners around art and artists, entrepreneurship or your uh, uh, different ventures. Uh, just one thing. I have a podcast called Blind Guide Travels and that podcast will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And it's an interesting endeavor just because it takes experiences that sighted people are used to and it turns them upside down. For example, our first episode is about what blind people can learn from movies. And so our first episode is about going to the movie theater as a blind person and what that experience is like. And the reason I started that podcast was to make people really think about the world from a different perspective and say, huh, I'd never thought of that. And that is the goal of the artist. The artist must always think about the world from a different perspective. So does the entrepreneur. But when the artist meets with the entrepreneur to solve a problem, that is when things work best because we have the very product, project-centered mind of the entrepreneur. And then we have the very outlandish, energized mind of the artist. And when those minds connect, that is when amazing things happen. Matthew. It was such an inspiring conversation, really. You are a musician, technology innovator. You are a blind singer. You are accordionist. You are a composer. You are an entrepreneur. You are a Lego enthusiast. You are such an inspiration, and I wish you all the best in your adventures. And I'm positive we and the listeners of the Artian will hear about you more, much more in the future. Thank you oh, thank very, you so very, very much. Have a great day in Boston. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. We are producing our podcast without any ads, and we are relying on our community's direct support. People like you, our listeners. So if you find it valuable, I will be super grateful if you could spread the word by leaving a rating and maybe a review. It will take you just 30 seconds to do so, and it is very helpful in getting these ideas to a wider audience. If you are interested to develop your artistic mindset, if you are looking to grow your business, if you want to develop the innovation competencies in your organizations, I will highly recommend you to check our workshops and trainings, all available on our website. This episode was recorded from Google for Startups Creator Studio in Madrid. Check out Google for Startups website to learn more about their support for entrepreneurs. The episode was mixed and mastered by Daniel Duran. You can subscribe to the Artian podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our previous shows are available on our website, www.deartian.com slash podcast. Each episode includes show notes, guest recommendations, videos, and other materials. We can also be found on our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us directly via email at podcast at theartian.com. So I will be waiting here for you in the next episode with me, Nir Hindi. Once again, thanks for listening.